Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science across the globe. My name is Joe Schunkweiler. I'm a physician and former health tech executive. And my name is Alex Merwin. I'm an operations executive who's worked at two startups that exited as unicorns. And now Joe and I work with healthcare and life science startups and investors at AWS. Today, I'm joined by Warren Ratliff, CEO and co-founder of Adaptex a company that enables providers to transform treatments and workflows by adaptively managing performance. Warren and I discuss why he actually doesn't want to create super users among the providers using his product, how he thinks about building momentum with customers during long healthcare sales cycles, and why focusing on positive deviance can be a powerful adoption driver. Enjoy. Warren Ratliff, CEO and founder of Adaptex. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me on. To start off, Warren, can you tell us a bit about Adaptex and what y'all do? Sure. Well, what we do at our core is we empower clinical leaders to be able to look across patients and manage improved care by leveraging data from their EMR. So for the first time, they can look across the patients that they're serving, treatments, their workflows and be able to monitor, evaluate, and adapt based on the real-world data that they're capturing anyway. What about your own background? How did you, how did you come to Adaptex? Tell me about the, the, the founding story there. Sure. Well, I've been in healthcare technology for a long time, going on 20 and 25 years. So I've, I've really worked across uh, a lot of different parts of the industry and, and feel like I've spent a lot of time in the infrastructure in putting together medical records and uh, medication uh, management. I built a business uh, some years ago that was focused on population health and care management. And along the way, I'd always really wanted to work on the clinical side. We've been building this great store of data at so many hospitals, but we don't, we don't leverage it for really anything. I mean, the, the rat records are used for, for billing, and they're used for looking at one patient. But if you went to a typical clinician or a clinical leader and said, well, you know, do we use that data to really drive your practice? Can you, can you use it to improve? Can you use it to manage? We've just never really given that power to that part of the health system before. So uh, for, for me, the opportunity to work on that feels like the culmination of what I've spent the last couple of decades doing. You talked about a bunch of different stakeholders, both throughout your career and now. Uh, leveraging the AdaptX platform, but who who are, who's your primary customer? Who are you selling this to? Yeah, the primary customer is a clinical leader who has something that they really want to manage and improve on the clinical side of their operations. So uh, it it might be a, a a surgeon in chief, it might be a chief of obstetrics, it might be a chief medical officer, it, it, it might just be a, 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 a perioperative or other leader who might not have a VP or a, a chief title. And they're coming to this with the idea that you know, they really want to work on capacity or they really want to work on quality, they really want to work on equity, but then they're stymied because there's not a practical way for them to draw the data and, and really be able to figure out what's going on. So that's, that's the core per person or the persona within a health system. Was there, a, was there an initial use case that, that started the product in motion or was it that range of use cases that was so enthralling? Yeah, there were several, but there was one thing in particular. So my co-founder, our chief medical officer is an anesthesiologist. 
And at his hospital, there were a variety of changes being made. And he wondered, you know, are those just expensive changes or are they, are they really improvements? It's really hard to enlist people in transforming care if you can't tell the difference between a change and an improvement. And in particular, he was looking at uh, a very common eye surgery and there was an expensive uh, pain medication that had recently been added to their protocol. And he wondered, well, does it, is it actually better? Does it work? And he's in a hospital with a, a truly world-class analytics team. So he thought if he, if he called the analytics team, they would just be able to look that up and give him an answer. I mean, they've, they've spent a great deal on their medical record system. They have a, a, a terrific analytics team. And it turned out uh, that it was an incredibly manual process to figure out which patients to pull and how to look at them and what's the data science. And so it took a full year for them to get to an answer. They wow. added a medication to the surgery protocol. Did it actually make them better off? And the answer turned out to be that they were spending a great deal more money and the patients were actually feeling more pain. Wow. And that I think really set him off in a direction to, to look for a different technology-based solution to this that would, that would really support his team better and that would empower the, everybody from the analyst to the clinical leader. So ultimately, uh, he and I you know, combined in trying to figure out what the right technology was and what the right path was to come at that, that core problem to make it really easy for a clinical leader or a frontline doc and administrator to be able to ask a question and get an actionable answer. And then once you've got the answer to really manage what's in front of you effectively, you just don't wanna get an answer and put it on a shelf you want to have something that's practical that you can you can use to be able to manage every day to actually make that thing better that you care about. So it's not really just about asking the questions, although that's a clear part of it. It's how does the answer then evolve the processes that may have caused you to ask the question in the first place? Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we actually refer to this process as adaptive clinical management. Now, I, I, I'm pretty sure that every other modern industry is doing adaptive management. If, it, well, if you're Amazon running a warehouse and you make a major change, you make a technology change, you got to strategize, you got to plan, and then you got to execute. Well, after you execute, you then hopefully are going to look in the next few days and weeks and say, are we getting more efficient? Is the quality going up? If, if Starbucks puts in a uh, a new cappuccino machine. I am sure they look the next week and say, well, is this better? Are the customers happier? Is it faster? In, in health systems, we just haven't had the capability to do that. So you think at a hospital of a, a drug, a workflow, a device, you, you have to work hard to introduce that drug. You got to strategize, you got to plan, you got to purchase. You always have to be executing. But it's incredibly rare to then come the next week, the next month and say, well, do the next 10 patients do better? Did they do worse? Was there no change? So uh, without that, there's not this ability to really adapt. So I think the, the key part that we fill in is that now anyone on the clinical side of the health system can monitor every day, every week, every month and say, are we getting better? Are we getting worse? Let's evaluate that and let's adapt now. Let's not wait five or 10 years. Let's do it in five or 10 weeks, let's, let's move. When, when you can do that, you can engage the clinicians in a very different way. And then you can rapidly accelerate what you're doing because you're going you're gonna to stop doing the bad stuff and you're doing more of the good stuff. It's as simple as that. But if you can't see it, it's really hard to fix it. Do you use those analogies and analogs from outside of healthcare? 
in in your sales or marketing or or you know discussions with potential customers does that resonate uh, we do it all the time in conversations like we're having now that say, hey here's how other folks work at it would you be interested in doing that in your environment and i i think it really resonates for folks especially on the clinical side of the hospital. I think for a lot of people, that's what they thought medical records would bring them. And I think electronic medical records have brought a lot of really great things. I mean, reduction in errors and just a lot of efficiencies. But if you're on the clinical side, again, it's really hard for you to leverage that data to, to really understand what's happening and to improve the way that you manage. You can work on one patient, but it's hard to look across patients. So I, I think those analogies really land really well with the, the clinical side of the house. Have the questions themselves evolved since you started? Well, I think that the, the yes and no. Um, everywhere we go, uh, uh, clinicians have got a core set of issues. I mean, they always start with, how am I doing? How's my team doing? <laughs> of course. Right? And, then, and then they branch out. Um, I, I think uh, with COVID, there were a lot of questions about how rapidly could you iterate your protocols because the world is changing. Um, and that has implications beyond treating COVID itself. You know, a lot of uh, ORs were closed and then they opened back up and there are backlogs. So what can I do with my capacity? Or we just lost a huge amount of money during COVID. How can we get more efficient or how can we add capacity so we can serve more patients and bring more money into the institution? So a lot of questions around that have come to the fore. One thing that we've noticed a lot lately, and by lately, I mean the last several months, uh, are increasingly questions around equity. Hmm. So the same technology at Adaptex that we use to surface variability in say efficiency or in workflow can also be used effectively to surface inequities in treatment, inequities in outcome. And once you've surfaced them to be able to address and manage those too. You're not uh, a stranger to the, the myriad of different players here as you referenced for, throughout your own career. How have you thought about working with the largest uh, electronic health records and other big players in the in the space already at Adaptex. We've wanted to make it as easy as possible for all concerned. So you know, maybe an analogy is to think about how we work with clinicians and how we work with the mm -hmm. IT team. So on the clinical side, it's important for us to make it as simple and easy as possible for a clinical leader to engage with our system to be able to manage. We, we, don't, we don't want to turn them into super users and they're not willing to go to days and weeks of training. It's got to be something they can pick up about as easily as they can do Airbnb. Well, on the, on the IT side, they don't have extra time or resources either. So we've got to make what we do really compatible with what an IT team or an analytics team is doing with a mech, uh, electronic medical record system. So we try hard to avoid building uh, a big integration that they don't have the time to do we make it really simple for them to get us the data in a data extract. And so that's work that can be done in, in days and weeks as opposed to, to months and years. So we're trying to make it so you can ride along with what those medical record systems are already doing or the data warehouse that they have in place. And it sounds like that gets into the implementation piece, but going upstream from that, how do you tackle those uh, long sales cycles that we know are burden everybody selling in the provider side? 
Well, the first thing is you just have to have strategic patience that it just takes a while, especially as a new company with a new paradigm and a better way of doing things. It takes a while to get the word out. You know, my experience in my previous business that I built was it took a really long time to get the first one and two and three. And then over time, there was really uh, a snowballing effect as people got comfortable and as the word got out, as it got to be referenceable. So we've started with the idea that we need to go deep with a few customers and really build out not just the technology, but the, the methodology and the case studies that make it a lot easier for the follow-on prospects to become not just customers, but really successful customers. So I'm, I'm tactically not very patient. Um, I'd like everything to move a lot faster. I like to push our team to go as fast as we can go. But I, I think you have to understand coming into this environment that they're really long sales cycles, especially to get started. And are, do you feel like you're able to surface those wins from one customer to build momentum with the next customer and the customer after that? How does that, because I think the, what I'm getting at here is really that growth. Um, and, and it sounds like you've, you've really capitalized on that, like getting a few and then getting some fast followers and people who are also asking similar questions. But I, I'm, I'm curious, how does, one, how does one success for Adaptex build on the next sale, the next group of customers? Like how have you, how have you tried to build momentum throughout those? I think it's really important for us, but really for any new company, that every customer be incredibly referenceable. Every customer has got to be delighted with what they are doing. We have a real advantage that we're working with clinical leaders in areas where um, you know, there's a lot of uh, sort of vital importance, whether it's quality or it's in equity or it's in the financial side of it, and it's really measurable. So I mean, the core of what we do is measure how you're doing mm. and then measure whether that changes. And so if you can, if you can measure that and uh, you can delight the current customer, then it turns out they're often pretty excited to share that more globally. And we've, right. we've been fortunate with our first set of customers that they've been willing to, to share a lot of those results and that success. And so we need to keep building on that. It starts with them ha them being very happy to start with, right. or there's there's not too much to build on. So you got to you got to get that part right, and we've tried to go really deep that way. What about this moment in terms of technological capabilities? And you don't have to give me you know the the specific nuts and bolts kind of thing or any special sauce, but just more generally, like what you know when you talked about uh, what you were seeing out in the marketplace with your previous um, expertise and, and and activities on the provider side. What was that flip that made you say, there's a space that's, that's perfect for this and it's not being met currently? Well, part of it's that I've been in the industry a pretty long time. And so I have a sense that there's a, a gap um, and that there's a, an unmet need. And then I think it really crystallized for me in meeting uh, Dan Lowe, who became mm -hmm. my co-founder, I referenced him earlier, he's our chief medical officer. And he had these very specific examples of not being able to, to, to leverage the data right. to figure out just what's going on and is it working or, or not working. And for me, it was those two things together that, hey, in concept, this data exists and we should be able to really do something with it. And I have the sense that the physicians are really frustrated and then actually meeting with Dan and saying, oh, look at these really specific examples 
And I can see how technology could address those examples, but I can also extrapolate and say, hey, we could really empower management across the clinical environment if we just brought the right technology and methodology to bear. What have been some of your favorite aha moments for, for your clinical buyers using the product? Um, well, one of my favorites is literally when we turn it on and we do something that we'll, we'll tell them is going to be training. And I was just working on one of these this morning. And for the first three or four minutes, most of the clinicians are afraid they're going to break something. Right. And so they're very hesitant. And uh, is it okay to click here? Mm-hmm. And we'll, it, it's sort of like we, we've got a, a, you know, a new car and we just, let's just take a small, quiet lap around the parking lot. And then what inevitably happens is they realize they can't break it and they can ask any question they want. And then the training just goes haywire somewhere between five and 10 minutes because they just ignore the trainer and look at whatever it is that they want. And it's, it could be frustrating as the trainer for a second to us, oh, wait, it's working. Uh, they're engaged and there's something that they care about. And there've been some remarkable moments sort of right then. So um, I, we were working with an emergency uh, uh, department leader and uh, she went straight to, well, could I use the system to look at my time for stroke care? Hmm. And absolutely, she could do that. It's a report that she normally gets, but you know, she gets it months later. And so could she, could she find that? And it turns out in 10 or 20 seconds, she could, she could find exactly how she's doing in her time to this critical stroke medication. And then she said, well, I wonder, could I, could I look at that actually by, by race? I've always wondered, does it make a difference for our patients? And it took another five or 10 seconds just to, to pivot, just to stratify by race. And the result was really upsetting. It made a 20 minute difference. Wow. Which race you identified with. And she was incredibly upset. I mean, she just was beside herself. Uh, it's really hard to take in this information. But then she, she got to work. Hey, what are we going to do? What are we going to, what are we going to fix? What can, what can we do about this? And her team began breaking it down into, you know, meaningful bite-sized steps. And within a few months, they'd, they'd really close that gap. And so that's a, you know, a dramatic example that came out of that first few minutes in interacting with the system. We, we see over and over again, you get these really smart clinical minds, they're curious, but they've, they haven't been able to really engage with the data and, and really investigate what's going on with their system. And so if you can, if you can give them that power and then step back, provide them support, but, but turn them loose, they're not waiting on anybody, they're just looking at it themselves, then they, 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 they take on all sorts of projects and management and improvement that's really hard to predict before we turn it on. That's just because of the kind of people that you've got engaged in these clinical environments. So we need to empower them and support them, but we also need to get out of their way and let them, let them go leverage that knowledge to, to work on the things that matter to them. When you get pushback or you feel like it's not like catching with, with whatever group, where, what does that usually come from? Where's the, where's the resistance usually crop up? Well, it can be in a couple of ways. I mean, folks are, folks are often burned out in these clinical environments. And so the difficulty might be getting them to the meeting in the first place right. and, and getting them to look and engage. We've never really had a problem once we can get them in the system and, and it's turned on and they're, they're interacting with the data. There's always something that they're interested in. One of the lessons that we learned early on 
was not to just give people a blank page. Right. So when we first got started, uh, we would often show the capability, but then most people don't quite know what to do. There's probably 20% of people that just come with, I mean, they're hungry. They've got a hundred questions and literally some people will stay up all night asking questions of the system and then they're off to the races. But for a lot of folks, they're like, hey, what, what, what do I do? And so one thing we learned early on is to make sure that when they log in, there's a, a starter set there for them to look at that's relevant to them in their department and uh, they will interact with it. And it may be that they just interact with it in front of them and now they're really engaged and they've got questions or they may look at it and say, that is irrelevant. You know, I, I use the, the robot and the other surgeons don't. Great, now they're having an argument with the system and now they begin to fiddle with the filters and they're off to the races. Right. And that's a great result too. Um, so you know, there are little things that we've learned to help people get that first step of engagement, but we've, what we found, uh, especially lately as, as we've you know, reached out to more and more different departments and more and more facilities is if we can get people in that room and get them engaged for the first four or five minutes, th then they're going to be in and it's going to be fine. What determines those preset things that they see? Is it the discussions that you had leading up to that point? Is it by specialty? Like what is the, because um, I think that would be a really powerful thing to show somebody the capabilities as it relates to their you know, whatever is most important to them in that clinical setting. What is so the, when, what determines that? So um, let me back up and say, when we roll out, we generally are doing it by department. Mm -hmm. So there's, a, a, imagine having sort of mission control for emergency medicine or obstetrics or for interventional radiology. Each one has got a different set of filters and metrics that are relevant to the people who would want to, to use it. The folks in obstetrics have got a different set of questions than people in interventional radiology. When we, when we roll that out, we start with the clinical champions, the leadership in configuring the system. They're the ones who wanted it probably and drove the, drove the purchase and are driving the rollout. And so a system might have, say, 30 metrics in it. Well, what are the two or three that the leadership of the team think are the most relevant, the most important? They themselves may never have had really a way to tie the core metrics that they care about all the way to the front line and give that visibility, visibility from the front line up and from you know, leadership down and across. So if we can sit with them and we can configure the system so that uh, when somebody logs on for the first time, they have a chance to see those two, three, four metrics that leadership thinks they'd be interested in, great, that's a great place to start. Um, you know, clinicians do not wanna get a scorecard. They don't wanna get a benchmark from some group they've never heard of. They wanna see, well, how am I doing? How's the team doing in my institution with these local patients? If I can do that, and if I can connect it with what their clinical leadership thinks is important, well, not everybody's gonna be engaged, but the vast majority of people are gonna find something there that they wanna interact with and that they wanna follow up on. The local data piece is hard to overstate really. Like having worked in hospitals and health systems and around a doctor's variety of specialties and, and other clinicians, it's you can always excuse away variation that you identify by saying, well, it's different here. You know, it's different at my hospital, not in my experience. So I'm just speaking from my own experience here. So that must be a really powerful thing to say, this is your data. This isn't a standard 
data set. This isn't, you know, down the street, this is your stuff. And so um, that's a really powerful element. We're not, you can't, there's nowhere to hide from that. And it also is the best motivator tracking mechanism, what have you. Um, my other question about that is if you have, sometimes there's a split in these cases between who's making the buying decision and then the folks that are actually using it to answer the questions, even if they're seated from the folks who lead the department or what have you. How do you navigate that? Is it by giving them you know, interesting use cases to start with to get the, you know, the, the folks off the races? Like what about, what about that split sometimes between somebody who said, I'm buying this for the department and then the folks that you need to be engaged with the product for the long term? Well, sure. Why don't I start with the local data question? So I, I think you're, you're really onto something. It's essential that it's their data and it's real world data. This isn't a, a controlled right. study from some other geography. This is their data. It's local. It's their practice. It's their team's practice. So it's so much easier for them to engage on it. And then there's transparency so that they can see to the left and the right of them how their, how their peers are doing. And it's essentially auditable. And you can click and go all the way down to the individual encounter or case, and you could look it up and, and you could be able to see, well, is this, is this real? And so for folks to, to really be able to engage with it, they, they can't escape. They can't just sort of write it off right. that this is a benchmark from somewhere else. Now this is, this is my data. And, and I'm going to have to deal with it. And I, I find that, that people in that situation generally will let the data speak. They may not let it speak right away. They come with an idea of what the problem is or what it isn't or how they're doing or how they're not. But, but they, will, they will engage and they'll see where they stand. Um, nobody ever likes to be in the bottom quartile of, of anything, certainly not in, in, in medicine. One of the things we really encourage for uh, leaders and teams is you know, where you can, don't, don't focus on uh, the, 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 the negative outliers, find the positive deviant. Mm, that's a great that point. In, in, a, in a group of 50, say nurses working on turnover, there may be somebody who's cracked the code. Well, let's, let's find that person and let's make them the benchmark. Let's, let's hold out this positive thing and the team will align around that. Let's don't, let's don't try and hit people with a stick. Let's try and figure out what's the best practice. Most people in medicine, if you will show them what is working in their local institution with their local data, will be happy to follow the best practice. Right. We, we often give uh, clinicians a hard time, I think in our industry that they're conservative or they move slowly. But I mean, there's some of that, but, but there's a reason. Like you're in a mm -hmm. high, if you're in a highly complex environment where people feel pain and people die and there are lawsuits and you can't tell improvement from change, well, it's reasonable to be really slow to change. You should be reluctant. And you're also burned out in the mix, right? You've got too much work to do. Don't, don't make me change. This is working well enough. Don't make me change. But in a, in a different environment where I can actually see across patients and across providers and I can see, oh, this drug cocktail is going to work better for my patients than those, or this workflow is going to get my team home for dinner, and this workflow is going to have us here till eight o'clock tonight. I, I, I'm generally in that position going to be choosing as a clinician, 
what works best. But you've got to give them evidence that's that re that's relevant. Hitting them over the head with yet another meta-analysis from a journal is is not going to drive that. It's not going to drive that behavior. You've got to got to provide effectiveness data at their fingertips that they can evaluate where they are. Meet them where they are, and then they're really willing to make some really dramatic changes. In my experience, you referenced a really uh, illuminating example on the health equity side and somebody asking that as a, a critical question. I've been really impressed by the, the, the story and the, the, the physician you were referencing. Are you seeing more of that? It seems like AdaptX could be a really powerful engine um, to put some numbers behind these health equity questions and concerns. Is that playing out across the marketplace? Very much so. I, I think more and more folks are using our system to surface that kind of variability around equity. Uh, people talk a lot, or they talk more and more, I should say, publicly about uh, disparities in outcomes. And that's important. We can help identify those and we can do it really very quickly. I think a, a neglected area is disparities in treatment. So mm -hmm. if you're inside the four walls of my institution. Is everybody getting equitable treatment? Is everybody just getting equal treatment? Is it the case that for a procedure in my institution that we're giving everybody the same drugs for the same things? Are they getting the same treatment? Are they getting the same attention? And if they need special attention to get the right outcomes, are they getting that attention too? Um, all of those questions are things that, that we can surface pretty quickly. We've actually, as we've seen how users are using our system, have been building uh, a higher and higher level of sort of management algorithm to, to look at things like equity. So the example I gave you uh, earlier was about stroke and a medical director could in you know, about 30 seconds figure out what's the time to the stroke medication and then, hey, do I have any disparities? And then she could start breaking that down. That's a, a relatively specific question. How long does it take to get this drug to my patient? Very important question, but a relatively specific one. Something that we've worked hard on over the last year and have been releasing really in the last couple of months is the ability to look across an entire department or a whole swath of a health system and surface all of the equity issues. Hmm. So if you don't know where to start, if, if, you, if you believe that there probably are equity issues, you've got humans working there. We, we, we make mistakes. There are going to be biases, but you're not sure where to start. We want to make that really easy. So now you can use the equity AI to say, well, could you look across my ICU or let's look across my cath lab, let's look across my emergency department and surface for me potential areas that I ought to work on. And then I can drill in and try and understand why are those things happening? Is there something I could, I could do about it? Is there something I can control and I can make a difference on? I, I find that really engaging for our team. Our team really wants to work on these issues. It's also really engaging for the clinicians that we that we work with. They they want to make sure there's equitable care. It's very hard for them to do that without additional support. Warren, we've been talking about all the the nuances of of selling and building a product that's used by providers. Um, it seems you know it goes without saying it's hard. Um, I'd love to close with what advice you have for others who would come into this space, looking to get clinician buy-in, looking to grow within the provider segment. If I was a new entrant, what, what advice would you give me? 
Well, if you were coming in from outside of healthcare, I would say it's really important to, to bring into your company, into your team, people who really have direct experience in healthcare because it's so complicated. I spoke to somebody earlier this week who uh, was coming from aerospace and they had a really wonderful team of really bright people and they, they really had a plan to get engaged. And my reaction was, this is terrific, but there are all these nuances and there are nuances in the data uh, that are just different in healthcare. You've got a huge amount of variability in the data and in the cleanliness of the data that you may not expect. And there's also a lot of complexity on the, on the business side. Health systems are really complicated to work with. It can be really unclear how a decision is made. It may be really unclear to the actors inside the health system how a decision is made. And so you, you really need to have had experience doing that. And then you're going to have to have some patience as you get started in finding the, the right entry points and, and the, the right people who can value what you do. You've got to have something, though, that's that's measurable and goes to the things that that are really the highest priority in the health system. So, like, you know, we've we've aimed for capacity and equity and quality in the core parts of the hospital. You, you've got to have all those elements. So, I'm listing you know, two and three and four different things, but right. you've got to have all of that. And I think the the companies that are really successful in building a real business that really grows and has a substantial customer base over time are, are addressing all that. They've, they really understand the domain and then they have something that's, that's really of value to the decision makers. Warren Ratliff, CEO and founder of Adaptex. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me on. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please go to aws.amazon.com slash startups.